Hello and welcome to episode number 241 of the Super Horror Bros podcast. I'm your host Matt and joining me as always is my brother Mike. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good man, pretty good. I'm very good. I'm very excited this week. We have lots to talk about, lots of very exciting stuff. Um, of course, as you'll see from the title, we're talking about an old film this week. A little which is unlike us. movie. Yes. Um, and if you're wondering what the hell that's all about, we teased it at the start of the year, but we'll get into all that good stuff when we get to this week's film discussion. Mm. Um, but don't worry, there's still plenty of new horror to discuss. Um, because, yeah, going straight into the news, I had a whole list of news items for this week, <laughs> and I pretty much cut most of them off um, because a little that? trailer dropped today. Um, we only got 24 hours warning which was even more exciting just a little tease yesterday that something new spiral related <laughs> is happening and yeah the new trailer dropped earlier today brand new trailer for uh spiral from the book of saw uh the second trailer obviously the first we've seen of this movie in like a year which is insane mm. and um i mean my thoughts are i i really like this trailer a lot obviously unsurprisingly i guess to a lot of people <laughs> i think you Did know you? there was there was a lot of trepidation when I first saw the trailer last year. And I think through the course of either just time and wanting this movie, but seeing this trailer, it hit me at such a good time. And I don't know, like, I'm curious to hear your take on it. Cause you're obviously not as much of a huge fanboy as I am, but I thought this trailer was awesome. I think it nailed everything it needed to nail where it, it got its story across. We know exactly what this movie is going to be. Now it is a cop crime drama of them investigating a serial killer. Um, and it's very, you know, that classic, they've kind of stripped away. I think a lot of the messiness of what's gotten in the way of a true source story for a long time especially with like jigsaw where it just gets so convoluted about what's actually happening um from what we've seen in this trailer it's a series of, of killings which looks to be a copycat killer with these kind of small nods and a homages to jigsaw um so i love that i love that it's you know kind of told from the perspective of the detectives i think when we saw that with most notably detective tap in saw one i loved that and seeing him kind of like you know going to the crime scenes and investigating clues and all that stuff um i i really liked chris rock a lot in this trailer um i think he sold just being a detective like when i first saw the trailer last year i was so worried because i was like oh man it's chris rock he's gonna be very distracting to me and i wasn't distracted by him in this trailer which was great um we saw more of the traps which looked really good yeah it just to me it was a, it was very similar to the trailer last year but just better in a lot of ways you know it was the the traps looked more gory um i have no doubt that this is going to be the best looking saw movie like it looks phenomenal the way it's been directed um samuel jackson in a saw trap like what more could you want from this trailer um yeah i mean you know it's one of those where you know you you, you say kind of i'm not to the fanboy level of saw i mean mm. that franchise i was obsessed with it's yeah. just that yeah, we've been we've been kind of punching the teeth so many times um and yeah when this project was first announced kind of chris rock and all of this stuff like i couldn't i couldn't really get over the casting like chris rock and samuel jackson i'm like oh mm. jesus christ but like <laughs> um yeah definitely this trailer chris rock was 80 percent less distracting than what he was in the last trailer for me mm. like it's still a, a tad distracting for me that it's chris rock um but significantly less and obviously we're just getting clips so i'm i'm more confident now than i ever will was that that we'll be able to watch this movie and, and chris rock won't be a distraction which is great because it was yeah. by far my biggest hurdle of, yeah. of this movie um 
yeah, I think what you said, you know, the traps look great, the, the violence looks great, the kind of, the story, you know, the stripped back, just copycat killer. I, I just I just hope that they don't try to convolute things. It's mm. kind of, at one point in the trailer, they say that, like, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly what they say, like, why, you know, why is this person doing it? There must be a, a connection. I'm like, oh, Christ. Like, don't you don't you start with this connection stuff? <laughs> and they make it so that it's here. kind of it's personal to Detective Banks, yeah. which is interesting because I liked, you know, comparing it to Detective Tap. I like just a third party who's just going in there mm-hmm. and is kind of a void from it all. Whereas later on, I love the kind of them sending him messages. You know, it's very Zodiac Killer of like, you know, mm-hmm. we're mocking the police service. You can't catch us doing it. But yeah, I'm with you that once it started going towards this is a personal attack towards Chris Rock's character and when was the last time you saw your father then i'm mm. kind of like okay this is going very personal which i get it that's fine and we're, obviously we're judging it purely based upon the trailer it could be awesome but yeah i'm with you that the final third is the only real mm. aspect of this movie that i'm gonna the, be worried about the uh, and yet yeah, samuel L. jackson in this movie when he was talking was was terrible for me <laughs> um it was super distracting um at, at this point you pretty much can't have samuel L. jackson in something without him being super distracting Mm. um but then yeah shoving him in a a saw trap kind of helps that problem yeah Um, but but yeah and not not that i don't like the guy it's just that you know because i mean samuel jackson you know he's just he's just distracting at this point (laughs) like yeah you know it's kind of like bruce willis at this point like it gets to a point you know let alone if you have the two of them in the same movie what sort of psycho would do that um (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great film another great film but but yeah i just think that um yeah I'm, I'm way more excited about this than what i was it's just that and especially with the director behind it and everything else that's that's the bit that gets me excited and kind of hopeful um i was i was kind of um missing the voice mm. um i don't know how you felt about that but obviously the 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 kind of it, you know, this day and age with kind of, you know, like what Scream did with the voice changer and stuff, like they could have just had a jigsaw voice on the tape and like have that be kind of part of the tie-in. I, I wonder if it becomes too close to it. But but for me, that's like one of the core parts of it to get that voice in there. But um, See, yeah. I loved I loved it that it wasn't the voice of, of you know, the actor. I, I was really happy because that, like, when that happened in Jigsaw, that kind of firmly rooted it towards him being involved. And I well, think having it, a different it, it, voice it firmly that, roots it away from Jigsaw, it, which it is what I want. It definitely does, and it's what I want as well. But I, I just think, you know, you can have the voice without saying, oh, it's him, he's back. Like, you haven't got to do that. Like, in this day and age, it can just be, you know, I'm pretty sure I can download an app where I could uh, play, be the, do the jigsaw voice. you got the you scary I mean? ghost face, that app from Scream 4. Exactly. You know, <laughs> and so so I would have liked that where they were like, oh, God damn it, they used the jigsaw app. Like, and just to have his voice in it, because I think that's iconic. But I, I, mean, I can see I why, think... and, and I think it does a strong, like you say, it does strongly say this isn't jigsaw. You know, we're not trying to say... Because, you know, the, long, the, the closer we got into Jigsaw, or the closer we got to Jigsaw, the more the trailers started to say, is he alive? What's going on here, guys? Mm. And that was when I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with this one, that this firmly is not saying it's anything to do with Jigsaw. The, um, 
the obviously they showed a picture of jigsaw in this trailer yeah. and i think obviously they are making sure that that's still in your mind i think i think we will hear his voice in some capacity or another in this film um so i don't think you have to yeah. worry about that but yeah i, I don't know i, I this really hit, yeah this really hit it for me of like obviously it's a movie that i'm really excited for and, and with it being hopefully just around the corner um but like seeing a new trailer it wasn't too spoilery for me there was a lot of quick cuts in it which i'm not gonna kill myself and freeze frame and go over like i did the other trailer because i'm worried i'll uncover too much but there's it just i don't know they they they've set the tone perfectly for me and i'm not i'm not worried this is going to be bad anymore um i think from from a, a level of of what we've seen with saw i'm very confident in thinking this is going to be better than saw 7 um and i i hope that it'll be better than jigsaw for sure um and i think it will be i just i hope that it's very very good and i hope they do some interesting stuff with the story because ultimately that's what i want um and like you say i'm glad it's it's stripped back it's gone more into detectives but yeah will we see you know, obviously Jigsaw is like the main character and he'll always be mentioned, but we've talked about it time and time again. Will they mention Amanda? Will they mention Hoffman? Which is like the biggest question mark, um, which I- I'm always yeah. excited to learn about that, especially I'm, with the I'm police aspect. Again, though, no, like... no, no, I'm not, I'm not putting my eggs in that basket. Yeah. Of like, I'm not going to be devastated if they don't answer what happened to Hoffman at the end of Saw 7. Like, that's not my concern whatsoever. Um but yeah, I'm I'm just so excited. Um, but there is one more update with Spiral, which was already in the news from last week. Um, a nice little release date change, <laughs> which Ooh. always happens with these. Um, but yeah, they brought it forward a week. So it was originally May 21st, and now it's May 14th. Um, I think the only real interesting aspect of this is that currently in the UK, uh, based upon government guidelines, um, cinemas are scheduled to open on May 17th. So initially, that would have been the Monday before Spiral coming out on the Friday, whereas yeah. now Spiral is out the Friday before. So not only does that guarantee that we won't be seeing this the same opening weekend as in the United States, which is frustrating, but also cinemas, if they open on that Monday, this will be one of the first movies there, and I'll be there day one if they do open on that Monday. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of like, oh, it's cool. You know, I'm not going to complain about them moving it a week forward. But had I had I had it my way, I'd rather they just stuck with the initial release. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was perfect for us with the UK yeah. cinemas. I, I saw a poster in a local cinema this week that mm. said like, "We'll be open May 18th," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, like it's beautiful." Mm. I'm like, I'm just going to visit them all. Like yeah, just yeah, all the rubbishy little ones that are around. Oh, yeah. there. Just, just to, you know, uh, you know, the fact that they're, they're coming back open is just awesome. Hundred so, percent. Um, and that is awesome. I'm so happy for this movie that they kind of kept that day, and it's seemingly like obviously there's going to be a shit ton come out regardless. Mm. But like they are in a pretty good position. We'll get into some box office stuff later on, very briefly in the news. But like they are in a really cool position, and I really hope this kicks off the kind of if this is like you say the return of horror for us in the cinema. I mean, I couldn't have scheduled it better myself because it's the number one movie I want to see more than anything. Um, so yeah, awesome, awesome news. Um, next up, this is a real brief one, just because I want to throw this in here. Um, Evan Peters, obviously a guy that we're big fans of, um, he will be playing the title character in an upcoming Netflix series um, based upon Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, hmm. So yeah, obviously... Yeah, so yeah, they look so similar, which is bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. So Ryan Murphy, of course, sort of long-term collaborator with Evan Peters on American Horror Story and a bunch of other mm-hmm. shows. He obviously has a deal with Netflix where he re- um, releases loads of content for them, and this is going to be one of them, uh, titled "Monster: The Jeffrey Dahmer Story," is a ten-episode miniseries. Um, of course, with Evan in the title role. Um, 
kind of the thing that I found most interesting about this ride because there's other cast news and a little bit of a description, but it says um, the 10 episode limited series spans the 60s, 70s and 80s and ends with Dharma's arrest in the early 90s. So mm. I thought that's kind of cool that he's going to be yeah. playing this character throughout all these different phases of his life. Um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Obviously, um, I'm a fan of Evan. I'm very much in the mood for more Evan after kind of getting the tease in one division and not really mm. having that play it the way I wanted to. But this is a like I don't want to make a whole big point about it. But but Netflix and their kind of I don't even know what the word is sexualizing or whatever like digging yeah, up idol- these idolizing yeah. these these real life serial killers that we spoke about before. You know, they mm. went on the whole Bundy kick and now yeah. the kick, and it's just it's I, bizarre, man. It's really yeah, it makes you know, me feel I mean, uncomfortable. And I think we both had that point last year where we'd, we'd got to tipping point of it, where it, mm. it starts to feel a little bit gross that these guys are being put on a pedestal. 100%. Um, because from what I know about Dharma, like, it's it's just disgusting. And it's like, we watch this, we watch horror movies, you know, we just talked about Spiral, where we're like, oh, the violence looks good in it. But we know that that is just cinema. Mm. You know, it is, it is just, you know, the movie we're about to discuss this week is pretty goddamn extreme um but you know it's it's a difference than than when it's a dramatization of something that you know has happened like there are real victims Mm. and there are families of those victims that um are still suffering to this day that like you know having someone as awesome as evan peters playing Mm. the scumbag is like you know it's 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 exactly the same as what they did with um bundy you know and it's just like have have one of the most charismatic guys in Hollywood be this, you know, killer that everyone's going to kind of like. Yeah, well, they're, just, they're, they're, you know. these are sex symbol actors like Zac Efron, Evan Peters. These are beloved people, um, mm. f- you know, for their looks as well as their talents. And so you're casting them in real life serial killers, like you said, where you'll go on Netflix and the title Jeffrey Dahmer's real life name is in the title of the show. Mm. Um, and that's going to be plastered all over Netflix. And like you say, the victims and the victims' families are not being plastered all over Netflix. And yeah, it, it makes me feel really uncomfortable thinking about this stuff with ha- with what we've seen in the last mostly five years, and especially with Netflix. I mean, we're talking about yeah. two examples here, but even their true crime stuff like really harps on the killers so much yeah. and kind of like what makes them tick and all this stuff in a way that I feel like does start to cross a line. Um, yeah, it- it it goes beyond an obsession you know i've i've been interested in these guys over the years and and watched stuff but it's it's got to the point now where yeah the the obsession of the the documentarian and the people that are clamoring for these things it just yeah i don't know it, it's it it definitely has crossed the line for me as well where i'm way less excited for these things than than i would have been years ago it's very weird like netflix are trying to make these people like pop culture icons mm. in the same way as like we've got stranger things and we've also got real life serial killers and it's like those yeah. don't really merge well in my mind but yeah um i'm excited for evan to do new stuff but yeah i don't know if this is something i'll watch but it's, it's weird um mm. but yeah moving on just a very quick update this one is the classic this broke about while i was editing last week's show in fact yes. um just a very small update and one that we wanted to hear about the Chucky series. We talked about that a lot. We talked about the cast and one notable absentee from the mm-hmm. cast list um, who has since now been confirmed. So 
The fantastic news is that Fiona Dorf, of course, will be reprising her role as Nika Pierce in the in the series. Um, Yeah, that's all we wanted, of course. Um, Super happy. This gets me like I know it's such a small thing, or maybe it's not a small thing, but like I'm way more excited for the show now. Not only because she's a great actress, but because of that character in the last two films, and also where it is with the canon as well. It's so important that she's there. It's not a small thing for us because we're giant fans of the the Chucky franchise, Mm. and 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 you know we've spoke about the Chucky franchise a lot that the 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 entire franchise has a through canon and the and the current and the the the, the current and only canon that we have for this franchise which is rare um for horror franchises is you know obviously um well there's a remake as well well i know but that (laughs) is that's very i I don't even see that as like Mm. it's almost in name alone yeah um you know we've discussed that obviously there is that side of it, we, but I mean that was awesome anyway. But mm. you know, I mean, like this, this canon is still going. The last movie was awesome. It ended in a really awesome place, um, and yeah, I, I, I love the fact that she's in it. You know, and uh, you know, and obviously her, her, you know, being being Brad's daughter is just awesome, and kind of getting her, you know, having that family atmosphere with it. I, I hope Andy, um, whatever mm. the guy's, I can't think of the guy's name, but yeah, you know, I, I hope he gets cast now as well yeah for sure but yeah i can't wait hopefully we'll get more of this soon mm-hmm. um but yeah moving on these are just a couple of small stories here they're very this first one's very weird i just wanted to quickly throw this in here because um adam wingard of course has been in the news quite a lot lately um and Love yeah that. hopefully we'll be seeing one of his movies very soon um but he, this man he will always get attached to the most bizarre projects <laughs> that you could ever imagine so we, we already kind of got the news a few weeks ago even before obviously Godzilla and Kong coming out is that his next project was going to be a face off at the time reboot. They've then said now it's a sequel with those characters, but different actors. It was a whole thing. Um, well, it's gotten even weirder because it's now been reported by deadline over the weekend that Adam Wingard's another project, who knows which one's first out of these two. Um, he will be directing a big scale feature based upon the animated TV series, Thundercats. <laughs> <laughs> now, when i first saw this i was like is this an april fools what is going on here and it uh, kind of ticked all the boxes it's it's him it's simon they will be rewrite a uh, simon barrett they will be rewriting a script together with adam directing and when i first saw this i was like what is this and then the deadline had an interview with adam um over the weekend talking about this talking about godzilla versus kong and i read the whole thing and i, I thoroughly enjoyed it um hearing what kind of adam's up to lately but it is bizarre that this is a huge passion project for him. He talked about how when he was in high school, he wrote a screenplay for Thundercats and he yeah. kind of got mercifully bullied for it at the time. And he just, he is just, lo- he just loves it. And so he was kind of at Warner Bros off the pack of Godzilla versus Kong. And he heard this was an IP that was kicking around and he just kind of asked it and suggested it. And then they, they let him have it. So that's all I have to say on it right now is good luck yeah. to him. If this is something he wants to do. Um, it's wild. It's just, you know, it is, that he is the best example of a fanboy mm. growing up, becoming a filmmaker, and then just making all the projects that he wants to do, like that yeah, he's passionate play. about. You know, all of this kind of, you know, cartoons and and um, you know, anime and and just any IP that he loved when he was young. If he can get hold of it and make something of it, he will. And I, mm. I respect it. Like, um, yeah. I wonder, I, you know, I feel like if he makes Thundercats, there's a very good chance he goes on to make a Biker Mice from Mars movie, which <laughs> yeah. would be pretty awesome. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just bizarre. 
Yeah, it's not what I want from him as a filmmaker, but we'll we'll kind of get to that in the in the coming weeks. So I feel like we'll have more time to talk about Adam. Um, and but then lastly, here's a small one in here because, um, so bear with me because obviously this is some box office figures. Um, and just to, to kind of clarify in case people haven't been listening every week for the last year, like why does this matter? Um, if you're if you're a fan anywhere in the world, let alone in the UK like we are, and you want to see new horror movies, box office figures matter right now more than ever before. Um, the sooner any box office around the uh, the world most notably in the United States and China, which are the two biggest markets, the, 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 the quicker any movie worldwide is making a shit ton of money, the better for everyone. Um, if you want to see Candyman in theaters, if you want to see Halloween Kills in theaters, you better damn sure hope that all the movies coming out right now are going to make a lot of money. Um, and yeah, we now have some really good news um, from International Box Office regarding Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, obviously, it's coming to the States later this week, um, but it kind of opened most notably in China last week and a few other regions mexico and australia um, but no major european countries um or the states and it opened with 123 million worldwide um that's 70 from china alone um which is above estimations at the time um this is by far the biggest uh, international box office debut weekend during the pandemic pandemic era which is great news um and so yeah this is awesome for this film obviously we have like the hbo max stuff to come um we've talked so much about warner bros and kind of their release strategies but this is one of the first ones really to kind of dip its toe in the water and, it, and it's this movie is unofficially reopening cinemas around the world like this yeah. is going to be the movie that everyone points to everyone thought it was going to be tenet last year it turns out the, the history books it will be godzilla versus kong um yeah, it will be the first wild. yeah it, it's already the first widely available release in china it's going to be in the states later this week so yeah it's all it's all good good news um so yeah i'm very very happy with that hopefully these numbers continue to rise and these release dates stick for 2021 because that's all we want from these films at this point. Yeah, you look um, at um, did you, what, what? What did you say? China was. Uh, China was seventy million, and it was one hundred and twenty overall. Yeah, so but that's not including China, the states or any major European markets. Yeah, you know, o- opening weekend for Tenet was fifty three. Yeah, you know, and so it just shows how well it's kind of you know it, it went on to do three six three. Yeah, Tenet. Um, you know, but. Yeah, considering considering when that came out, and like I say, for us it was a we, we got to see that in the cinema. Mm. Uh, but it just shows how, how irrelevant our box office is, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. Um, but as long as the global ones is doing it, then then yeah, it means we will get them in our smaller market yeah. as well, which is super important. Exactly. That, that, that's what I was trying to kind of hammer down to people mm. if they're wondering why the hell do you care about China box office figures? Well, ultimately, it does directly affect me right now. If I want to see Spiral in a couple of months, I better hope and pray that these movies keep making money in China, which is what I will do, continue to do. Um, mm. But yeah, that was awesome news. Um, mm. There was a couple more trailers this week, but we definitely don't have time for them. Maybe next week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just before we go into this week's film, just a final warning um, for the giveaway. Obviously, we kind of officially announced it last week. All the main details will be there last week. I always like to leave it open open for another week so maybe a day or two after this episode goes live i will close it um all the information is in the description of this podcast um we also have a giveaway going exclusively on twitter so you can enter twice for this giveaway all you have to do is retweet a certain tweet and follow us again if you go on our social media um twitter at shb pod you'll see it all over there it's very easy to follow um and yeah get get involved with these awesome blu-rays that sean has um uh, kindly given away to our uh, audience um Sean will kind of talk a bit more about which Blu-rays you can win later on in the show in case you don't already know. Um, But yeah, that is pretty much it for this week. Shall we talk about this week's film? Let's do it. 
let's talk about the last house on the left. So yeah, obviously this is a, a nice random one because this is not a 2021 movie. Um, it is not. It's about as far as you can get from it. A 1972 film. Um, and I mean, yeah, why are we talking about Last House on the Left? We obviously vaguely mentioned it early on in the year. I think it was even mm -hmm. one of the first shows of this year. Um, but if you have no idea what was going on, obviously last year, I mean, I guess it all starts with we're huge fans of Wes Craven, first and foremost. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's been known for the past five years. He's collectively our favorite, you know, director within the genre. And mm. um, we love his films and we would love to talk about them more. And obviously last year, off the back of all the hype surrounding Scream 5, we did retrospective shows on all four of the Scream movies. And we wanted to do that for his all of his horror films. Obviously, it would take a very long time. Um, but we thought, why not try it now while we've got a week off? Um, so this will be part of an ongoing kind of ranking Wes Craven's uh, series. Um, at the end of this film discussion, we'll add the Scream movies to that as well, because we already ranked them. So that's pretty easy. Um, and we'll kind of see where this movie stacks up with those. And then we'll just go from there, which is fun. And then at some point, we'll have, I think he... I th off the top of my head i think he has like 18 horror films something along those lines um so it'd be interesting yeah, to see right. nearly 20 yeah so it'd be interesting to see what that ranking is but um yeah there was no other place to start really than his directorial debut of course um written mm -hmm. edited and directed by wes craven um produced by sean s cunningham um who, who obviously people will know in the horror genre um i mean this was uh, randomly based upon a Swedish film, apparently. Um, and sure. it, it kind of, the, the, the couple of background I wanted to talk about was basically the, the title, most notably, obviously super famous title. Um, mm -hmm. It went through multiple title changes before its release. Um, initially, it was being pitched as the sex crime of the century, um, which is a line in the film, which I hadn't realized until this yeah. recent watch. Um, but apparently they didn't like that. They also went with Krug and Company, which I, I like as a title. Um, yeah. But uh, the test screenings were not positive to me. Yeah, that, that had posters and everything, didn't yeah. it? Promotional mm -hmm. items. I'm sure I've seen them. I think that was the title Wes wanted um, mm. because then it was kind of Sean um, S. Cunningham and he, a, a, marketing, a marketing specialist friend proposed mm. him the title The Last House on the Left, um, mm. which Wes Craven initially thought was terrible. Um, but they went with that title. It kind of sold, you know, it, it was marketed really well. Obviously, the famous tagline um, mm. to avoid fate and keep repeating it's only a movie, it's only a movie, kind of that tied with that last house on the left. Like, ooh, what does that mean? There was so much mystery and interest in this film um i think you look at the poster and the yeah, poster so iconic is, is not only just so iconic you know it's it's one of the most terrifying disturbing movie posters of all time i think kind of the two movie posters that stick into my head more than any others is this and texas chainsaw massacre mm. like with you know texas chainsaw massacre with her skewed on that hook and kind of obviously um uh, this, this movie kind of, uh, sorry, this this poster kind of um, saying about kind of Mary and, you know, she's 17 and dying and kind of showing the image of, it's, it's Phyllis that's actually shown, isn't it? Yeah, it's wild, poster. yeah. Um, and then and then kind of, you know, with, with the tagline to avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's just like, uh, like I, I can only imagine, like, mm. seeing that in 1972 <laughs> and being like, what? 
the hell is is this like i i don't even know like you know i think kind of you know it, it couldn't do a better job of warning people really could it <laughs> No, but I'm I, I, to witness. I'm completely with you. This poster is incredible to me, even looking at it now. And I think the thing that really strikes me is like it looks like a newspaper headline. Mm. You know, like the font "Last House on the Left." You're like, oh, what does that mean? You see the image, which is not some like carefully crafted image. It really does look like these horrible kind of crime scene photos that mm. you see. And yeah, something about that just works so so well. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the background of it. Um, I think most notably as well, like the the reception to this movie regarding hmm. censorship is fascinating um so according to wikipedia in terms of the united states this movie had no problems um they submitted it to the mpaa who, who passed it with an r rating i don't believe without any cuts um so it came out in 1972 there was a few different uproars as you'd expect kind of people um pick it in at certain cinemas to have it closed and this and that that you always kind of hear these myths and legends and you don't know how much is true but ultimately the movie came out and it was actually a huge uh, w- one thing i never knew about this movie was it was actually a box office success um this movie was made for a budget of eighty-seven thousand mm. dollars, and it grossed over uh, grossed over three million dollars domestically. Which, yeah, for a random ass horror movie in nineteen seventy-two, that is insane. Um, so huge success there. But then when you come to the United Kingdom, is when it gets really interesting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, two years later in nineteen seventy-four, they kind of they tried to get it as a certificate by the BBFC, who said nope, no chance, and <laughs> just just a flat out no. Um, and that was that. And then obviously during the nineteen eighties, with the kind of massive boom in home video, um, it came out uncut um and kind of was you know circulating around tape decks at the time and of course people know that the bbfc had no jurisdiction on home videos at the time which was crazy and so that then kind of led to um the video nasty craze um where it was basically a bunch of horror movies were dubbed video nasties that then led to the video recordings act in 1984 which was kind of the for the first time like okay bbfc has to certify films on home video just like they do in cinemas um and Last House on the Left was on that list of video nasties, which was ultimately banned. Um, so this movie was still banned throughout the eighties and the nineties for a very mm. long time. It kind of gained this kind of cult following. Um, what I find really interesting is it wasn't until 2000 when they kind of presented it again to the BBFC, who also said no. Um, it was about this time when an independent film label called Blue Underground basically toured an uncut print around England without a certificate. <laughs> and apparently the way it works is they were like granted certain certificates from different city councils and town councils. So Southampton City Council granted it its own 18 certificate just to show in their cinemas. Um, and, and this kind of happened for a little bit, obviously with, with a bit of moderate success, because this is this is becoming like a huge cult film at this time. I mean, think about how famous Wes Craven is in 2000. Mm. Um, and this is his first film that you still can't legally watch in the United Kingdom, which blows my mind. Um, again, in 2002, they, they, they went to the BBFC. They said no. They wanted a bunch of cuts. It didn't happen. Um, again, this happened in... Uh, uh, yeah, in the early 2000s and it wasn't until 2002 with 31 seconds of cuts this movie finally got its first ever certificate in the united kingdom which was an 18 um and it was released on dvd in may 2003 um at the time the dvd the the cut scenes the 31 seconds of cut scenes they were viewable as kind of like a slideshow images on the disc <laughs> and then there was a link to a website where you could watch the cut scenes and I'm like, i don't know i don't know why that is it's so bizarre um yeah. and then and it wasn't until five years after that when BBFC finally said, okay, the uncut film can now be released. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's so, 
I mean, film censorship at the best of times boggles the mind, but but how they were so sticking their feet in the mud for this long over this film is crazy. Yeah, um, so... it was this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre were the mm. two that, that kind of just you know, the, the, the BBFC just refused to, to, to budge on. And I think kind of, you know, um, I don't I don't know how you watched it, but I watched my Arrow. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say is the last thing. Yeah, so um, kind of in, in 2008 was the home video. And then 10 years later, we got the, the Arrow re-release in 2018 mm-hmm. in the United States and the United Kingdom. Three different cuts of the movie, all restored in 2K from the original film negatives. And yeah, that was how I watched the film as well. Yeah, which is awesome. And did, did you watch the Wes introduction at the start? No, I didn't know. Um, so there's, there's just like a 30-second Wes introduction at the start. And he's basically saying that, like, you're finally getting to see the most uncut version of this movie that we could possibly put out, um, mm. which is awesome. Um, and it, it, cause it, it's just such a weird project how much, because even, even in the States, they're, they're, I don't know how true this is, but there's kind of rumor that, that Wes basically um, set up a special editing office to restore the prints that were returned from cinema because right. quite often they would yeah, they come would back chopped up, up yeah. by the theater owners. Mm. and like sent back to them and so they they set up just to restore them and send them back out there and it's just yeah like, like <laughs> this movie just got so much hate and and venom but the, the funniest thing is is that what that did was peak the interest it did the mm. exact opposite the people that hate this movie and didn't want it to be seen forced it into cult fandom and and made it this thing that everyone in the horror community you know had to see and it kind of you know, they, they created what they didn't, you know, the exact opposite of what they wanted to, which I just find hilarious because, you know, the whole, like I say, we, we've, we've, we've spoke about it in the past, but, you know, kind of censorship and cut in and kind of, um, uh, you know, we spoke about what was it? 13 reasons a bit on this podcast mm. before and that sort of thing. And it's just, you know, it, it is bizarre. And I think kind of, you know, <clears throat> it's a difficult one, but at the end of the day, like if you know, you can't tell someone to change what their vision is. Mm. And I think, you know, it, you either then just decide whether you want to put it on your platform or not. And and I guess that's what's happened, you know, it, it, over here where they just said no. Um, and Wes didn't budge the other way and, and weren't going to cut something that he felt strongly shouldn't be cut. It is mental. Like, I think back in the day, there was a place for these types of, of censorship. And I feel like now where we're at with, especially like you say with Netflix, where kind of everyone has their own different model, whether it's the production company or like the Blu-ray label, for example, mm-hmm. Arrow, whether it's the streaming service, regardless, like they all have their own kind of convention yeah, that, they, yeah, that they adhere to. So you don't need this overall governing body to say yes or no regarding a certain yeah. film. And I can't imagine what it's like to be someone like Rob Zombie in this day and age. And he works his mm-hmm. ass off against all odds to make these horror movies and then he has some scumbag basically who's a random outside party saying oh no you need to remove eight seconds of your film just like it does my head in the the concept of that you're not helping anyone you're just getting in the way to keep your job basically like using that as an example like um three from hell lionsgate had a distribution if they're happy to put Mm. out who who you know, why does it need to, like you say, be this extra police and the fact that this police is in different jurisdictions so the US and the UK can have very different ideals. Mm. And and like you said, you know, you, you know for a fact, like, you know, Wes had problems after this movie for the rest of his career. Yeah. 
um, and, and they had to stick up their ass about him. And people do with Rob now. Yeah, 100%. Like, you get put on yeah, a list with them and the, they just the, don't the, like you. The crazy stuff that we've seen in the cinema mm. um, that's come from unknowns or people you wouldn't expect that's been way more crazy than Rob's stuff or Wes's stuff. But these two guys have just were, were hated, you know, by the ratings board. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess kind of, um, yeah, <clears throat> getting into this movie kind of um for, I, I guess more than anything i mean you know if you're listening to this you know what it's about um yeah, we'll say briefly before we plot we we don't do any sort of spoiler alert like this is if you want one yeah. this is it now this movie's super old we're not going to skirt around any sort of spoilers for these retrospectives so hopefully you've seen the movie because we're just going to talk about all of it from the start <laughs> yeah i think i think kind of nearly 40 years uh is enough time to, <laughs> yes. to have a spoiler warning even though you know we've only we've only had it for 20 odd in the uk <laughs> oh no we better um, wait another 20 years <laughs> but um but yeah, I guess I guess just yeah, going into um, uh, uh, f- for me this movie. Like, can you remember when you first saw this? Uh, no, I, I remember hearing about it. I remember mm. studying film and hearing about it, and I honestly don't know. I remember seeing clips from it, and I remember hearing about it, and it was very much in that category of "I spit on your grave" mm. of like I know vaguely what this is about. Um, but it wasn't until the Arrow release two, uh, three years ago when I actually I think that was the first time I sat down and properly watched the movie from start to finish. Right. Yeah, because I, I had the DVD mm. when that came out. Um, I still probably got it somewhere, and. Um, but I think like the first time I watched it, it was, it was too much. Yeah. And I, and I kind of just, you know, not being, you have to be prepared to watch this movie, I think. Mm. And kind of, yeah, the first time I watched it, I was just like, no, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't get through this. I don't think. Um, and, and yeah, kind of watching it, watching it like now, I think kind of, um, there are so many things that, that scream kind of Wes and his filmmaking craft that he managed to get from this movie, even though it was like, you know, this incredibly low budget, his first, you know, his directorial debut. Um, but, but he really, you know, there are so many things in this that does show that he, you know, was something special and had kind of that about him. Um, the way this movie opens where, you know, it's, it's so simple, in, in kind of we get kind of um, Mary and her her parents and we get this real kind of coming of age dialogue between Mary and her parents and kind of her um, saying she's 17 and she's going on the town and and having this conversation um, and and kind of the, the juxtaposition is we kind of get uh, Krug and his gang that are kind of introduced by a um, it, it, is it news? Is it some sort of news? News uh, radio it, report. Yeah, radio report, isn't it? And kind of like as the radio report, report plays, we kind of cut back and reveal these guys. And kind of um, you instantly know what this movie's going to be from that opening scene. You've kind mm. of got this this still innocent girl that is coming of age and kind of going out there. And then you just see these despicable human beings. And they're clearly despicable human beings from the second you see them. And kind of the way that they... Um, interacting with each other and the fact that like they have no barriers you know it's kind of that they're all just um uh in in this hotel room and sadie is just kind of like um just prancing around with all of them really and kind of like do you know what i mean it's just it's just seedy and Mm. you can just tell that they're they're these real horrible people and you, you get that sense of dread from the beginning of the movie and kind of um 
the 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 contrast with that is the soundtrack of this movie <laughs> which is something that that i think is kind of um just like it's so bizarre there's there's like these original songs that are that are talking about what the events of the movie being played that are like these kind of just like really upbeat cheerful songs that are describing like the horrible violence that we're seeing throughout the movie and the song kind of plays throughout the entire movie and goes more and more into the plot obviously as we get further into the story and it's kind of like you have that with the real haunting kind of melody of the um the 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 title theme kind of that road leads to nowhere song mm. that's kind of played throughout and like these two songs are just like they, they were stuck in my head for days after watching this film do you know who did the music um, in this film as well um i don't so it's David Alexander Hess who played Krug oh, in this really? film. Oh, really? Crazy. So he was a musician. Um, mm. He was primarily a musician. He wrote songs for Elvis and other people um, and was fairly well known in that capacity. But then he transitioned into acting and kind of this was one of his first major film roles. And from this point on, really, he was typecast as the villain. He always <laughs> played this kind of piece of shit, either a criminal or a rapist. He's played in multiple films, it says on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, um, and that's kind of what his role was because of this movie. Whereas he made really upbeat, nice sound of music, um, which I always thought was fascinating that kind of like the most horrible villain in this movie that you look at him and he just, he portrays it in such an incredible way. Yeah. You'd think to yourself, man, this guy must just be an absolute scumbag. And then you read about him and it's like, no, he's, he's not. He's he actually makes really awesome music that is not only featured in this film but is like actually good outside of the film as well mm. um so i found that part fascinating as well he, um, he, he really does ooze evil mm. and i think i think that's something that wes has has done throughout his career kind of like uh when we get villains in you know this and hills of eyes and you know obviously later with more of you know freddie in the early days um you know the wes you know movies um just these real villains that scream villainy and kind of you know you I, I can't imagine being like this guy trying to get a gig after mm. being in this movie no. um because you can't unsee what you see in this movie and you can't not you know it's so it feels so real and mm. i think it is the way it's shot like it's shot so close um and personal like the camera invades every actor's personal space throughout this movie and i don't think that's a that's a um you know a, a mistake you know that's mm. an obvious choice from wes that that the the like not only does you know th these people invade you know the, the the two girls kind of you know personal space more than you possibly you know can, can do to anyone the camera is doing it to everyone in the movie throughout and i think kind of it just makes you feel uncomfortable that you're too close to this stuff that you don't want to be seeing. Yeah. And like, it's, it's almost like saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost saying to Wes, like at least pull back a bit, like get me a little bit away from it, Wes, please. Like, it's just too much. And like, it, you know, it really, you know, you can tell why it had the reaction it did back then. You know, like I say, this movie is tough to watch now, almost 40 years after it's made. Mm. Um, I can only imagine what it did to people in the seventies. I think that's um, what's so crazy about this movie is like still watching it now with, with the lens, with the history mm. and kind of hearing all about this, having seen hundreds more horror movies from, you know, recent times where you can portray stuff in a way more graphic and violent way mm. and still seeing this movie and it's still having that impact. Like it's still really uncomfortable. There's certain movies that have that, um, 
that reputation that mm. you watch now that do not remotely have that impact anymore. Whereas this absolutely does. I think you would you would struggle to find even the hardened kind of horror vet that has seen a lot to be like, do you just not feel anything watching this movie? You know, is this just totally fine to you? Because yeah, we're, we're pretty much in that category of like people that watch horror every single week. And mm. I don't know about you, but yeah, and I've seen the film and I know what to expect, but there's still times where I'm like, oh, I just want this to be over. This is going a bit too far. And, and like you say, mm. it's because of the, I mean, the acting is, is so much better than I remembered. Yeah. Um, you know, in particular, the villains, the four villains, I think are incredible. Um, they're all so well cast and they all, I mean, I say well cast because like, I don't, I haven't seen them in anything else and they all feel like those people. Um, yeah. And I think, like you said, there's a reason why uh, David, who plays Krug, ended up just constantly playing this character because I couldn't imagine him as the lead in a rom-com the year after this came out. Um, and I'm sure audience, audiences couldn't see that either. And so I think they are, they were so powerful in their portrayal and that's really hard to do these days. We talk a lot mm -hmm. about how we're definitely in a golden age for acting for sure but i think these types of performances still carry weight because of how real they feel it's not like a case of we're watching it and we're enjoying the performance and it's really well crafted it's more i feel like i'm watching a documentary about yeah. these horrible people doing horrible things um you hate which, them yeah. all and i think i think sadie is the the one that really puts puts it over the, the edge i think mm. for me just having like a female be in there whilst they're they're doing what's what's being done to the two girls i think yeah. just kind of it really does elevate it even more to just like you know how how disgusting it is and how how she can watch it and be comfortable and yeah. with it and and get that kind of enjoyment and pleasure from it that she gets like it's it's just it's it's really unsettling and she does it she does it so well, you know, she, she really is despicable in this movie. Mm. Um, you know, and like you said, the, the other two, obviously, obviously you then get kind of junior who, who is more sympathetic kind mm. of throughout and kind of like, you know, he, he plays that really well. Um, I think, I think for me, like watching it as well, I'm always like, I always get caught out by the movie because I always think like, oh, okay, I've seen the most disturbing part. And then, like, then there's something else that, like, sticks with me and freaks me out. And I think um, this time, I don't know about you, but, like, what really got me was, was um, yeah, watching it this time around was when Phyllis had been murdered and they come back to Mary mm. and they've got all the blood on their hands and it's just, like, blood and hair and grass and kind of Krug, but but more, more so, um, is he Fred? the other guy yeah fred but they yeah. call him weasel as well yeah weasel how he is literally just picking grass and hair off his fingers and and the, the scene is going on and i just was watching him pick this like grass and hair off his fingers and i was like it just looks real that's 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 how i kind of picture it it's not this you know so often in horror movies you see a character that's like covered in blood and then the next scene they're they're spotless again mm. um you know kind of you, you look at something like Evil Dead and kind of like how what happens to Ash and then, you know, then it's gone and then it's back and all over the shop. Whereas this, like, it was just this horrible, sticky mess that was on his hands that he was picking off. And I was just, I was really unsettled by it. Um, and, I, and I don't know whether that's ever stood out to me before, you know, watching it. But it was just like, I was like, oh, my God, what, what do they do to that poor girl? Like, you know, just to see what's on his hands now and what he's doing and how they're just so calm about it. 
Yeah, well, that's that um, kind of grittiness that you used to get in those types of films mm. where you're not going to get a bunch of different setups and a bunch of different takes and a bunch of different days to do these things. It's a case of you get it done, you hope you get the material and you move on. So kind of in that moment, that would have been the aftermath of the scene that probably just happened. Yeah. And so then they're like, right, let's just go in this moment and all the blood's going to stay there. And, and as an actor, he probably was just like, just get this fucking grass out of my fingers. Like it was just doing his well, head in. They talk about, you know, in, in the kind of, you know, um, retrospective um, stuff that's out there that like multiple actors walked off set whilst filming this. Yeah. Kind of brought back in and calmed down and then things continued. And, you know, yeah, the, the people that didn't like, yeah, they would have been in this disgusting blood and, you know, ripped clothes or, or you know, d- depending on, you know, who, who had walked off, you know, um, you know, in these horrible situations, and you can just tell that like, it really does. And it even, the one thing that, that also stuck with me was how kind of um, just before Mary's killed, when she's kind of let to kind of walk away for mm. a bit, um, how all of them really look like they've even taken it too far themselves. Even Krug has like this look of regret on his face that like mm. he, he's in too deep now. Like he's not going to, he's not going to back down because because it is like you know the four of them are or the, the three of them primarily are egging each other on yeah and so none of them can back out but you could kind of see that all three of them were looking at each other thinking we've we've gone too far here like this is like we can't back down now but my god we've we've gone too far like i'm disgusted with what we've done i really like, like that with sadie in particular because in yeah. the in the first night she is so loud and aggressive and ballsy mm. and she is like almost the biggest instigator out of the group which she's mm. like i want to get more girls involved i want to do this yeah. i want to do that and then as time goes on and she sees the way these girls are being treated and kind of what has happened to phyllis and then what ultimately mm. happens to marie you definitely see that turn in her of like man i i really just fucked over these people um mm. which i think is such a cool like i say she the, she's way more of a fleshed out character and i think all of them are than you kind of expect really of like this type of movie i've seen a lot of these you know in, in that era like the very early 70s it very much was just like well you're just a villain and you're kind of this yeah. faceless nameless soul who's just there as a as a villain just to kill people and take lives mm. whereas i think ultimately he did put some time even though this is his first project and it's obviously rough around the edges mm. there is care in taken into kind of building these characters and i love that i love that this was his first movie because mm. it's not my favorite wes movie and no. i think i want to get your take on it as well because I'm, I'm not even sure how i feel about this movie you know i when I watched it a couple of years back and spoke about it on the podcast, I'd said, you know, I don't love this movie, but I love the Arrow release because it's this really important release for Wes and for the history of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, rewatching it now, I got more enjoyment of it this time. Um, I still don't love the movie, but I think there's, as more time goes on, I appreciate the characters more. Um, you mentioned the soundtrack, which is by far my favorite thing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I love the way this movie sounds. It sounds so different to anything else that was happening at the time in horror, yeah. where they really, even back then, was, and, and whoever's choice that was, to be like, we need to, we want to do something completely different with this film. Um, and yeah, not only are the songs great, but they kind of, their juxtaposition with his with the horrors going on with this real upbeat music i just loved it um, kind of kept me going though mm. like that's the other thing that like i think if the 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 soundtrack was as dambi as the visuals mm. i don't know whether i could get through this movie like you know and see this movie you know multiple times but i think the soundtrack really does help 
Um, one of the end one... credits in particular when it's like yeah. showing their faces and it's like you've watched a yeah. sitcom and they're going like and I was just this is perfect yeah it's so crazy um I I I need I need to mention the elephant in the room though um I'll bring up my notes yeah bring up your notes um dumb cops thoughts Maybe the greatest portrayal of all time of Dom of Dom Cops. Um, so brilliant. I I can't believe it. Kind of. So I'd already made notes from the first scene, which is when they're <laughs> yeah. in the house, and I was like, "This is brilliant," because they're not trying to portray these like competent police officers in the slice. He's eating this cake. The the other guy comes in, he bangs on the window and enters the room in the most awkward way possible. And then he's like, have you got any more of that cake? In this weird one-liner, they That's leave so the funny. house. And I don't know if you caught it, but and I really want to know if this was intentional or not. Because later on, they become way more comedy. And, I'm, and now I'm thinking it was. But at the time, it looked like they just fucked oh, up. Oh, when he, when he walks the wrong way. <laughs> he walks down the path and just keeps walking when the path takes a 90 degree It just angle. goes straight yeah. into a bush. And it goes like, whoop, and just like steps out of it. And I'm like, they just kept that in the film, did they? All right. Like, I was dying. I watched it like three or four times. <laughs> it was so yeah. good. Because at that yeah, point, they weren't fully comedy characters. Uh, it, and I right. thought, that's brilliant. That there's this unintentional moment of comedy and one of the darkest bleakest movies but then we get to the absolute shit show of <laughs> not only did they see a suspicious car parked outside the house which they go oh we ain't got time for that even though we're no. reporting a missing person's case they then get back to the police station they hear about the cadillacs <laughs> they're like right we need to go investigate it the car breaks down all that shenanigans oh, then we get the chicken truck. one of the most ridiculous scenes in cinema history when this when this woman pulls up with the chicken truck and just this whole dialogue about the chickens, him trying to get up onto the roof of the car and nearly breaking his neck, first of all, yeah. which was amazing, um, as he kind of like slips on his side. Then the whole pratfall of them falling off the car, then her being like, how much do you weigh and how many chickens that's going to be? And this scene... And also, I want to mention the opening scene with the family, with Marie and talking to her parents. Both these scenes really felt like from Rob Zombie films to me. Um, well, I was going to say they're both like like Devil's Rejects has mm, the whole chicken scene in 100%. it. And, yeah. and I feel like that has to be an homage to Last House on the Left. It has um, to be. And and yeah, the, the opening dialogue with her, with her parents, I was taken back by it. I didn't what, remember what it. What did that remind you of? Because there was one scene in particular that I was like, that's the same scene. <laughs> it was no, the, 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 the first time you see Laurie Strode in Halloween. Oh, God, yeah. It's a very yeah. crude, overly yeah. crude conversation with her I bought step-parents. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is the same scene. Like, it's it is bizarre. Like, I'm it it's definitely intentional, I think, from Rob's part. But um, yeah. I, I yeah, both these scenes stood out to me. But yeah, how how comedic the chicken scene was, and <laughs> then then you're kind of going back to this brutal, horrible stuff. I'm like, man, this was wild. That I really want to hear what Wes had to say about that, about kind of what yeah. he was doing as a director. Of like, did he feel like he had to put these moments of levity in there? Yeah, I think because, so. Because what they were striving to do with this movie at the time, with the market and everything, was like, and that's what everyone was trying to do with horror at the time, was they were just trying to make the most fucked up shit possible. Like, mm. they wanted to terrify audiences. They wanted you to feel creeped out and feel uncomfortable. So I really wonder why he would feel the need to put comedy feel, in there because later on when you're in the studio system, it makes way more sense to put those scenes of comedy in there. I always, I feel like with Wes that he was always very aware of what he was making and what the world was around him and kind of, um, I, 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 I almost wonder if that stuff was put in later by him 
that he'd almost kind of shot the other staff and was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, I need to, I need to do something here. Like I've tried to make the most fucked up movie in the world, but I, I, even I didn't think I could make something like this. Mm. And like, I need, I need something to, to, cause people, people aren't going to sit through this. Um, because I think, I think that's the thing. Like we've seen these kind of, um, murder revenge kind of, um, you know, like I, like, and I spit on your grave and, and tons of others. And, Sometimes it does get to the point where you 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 just need to turn it off because you, you know the the violence of what's happening to the victims initially just just is too strong and therefore when you get to the revenge you're just you're already too fatigued and too too kind of out of it and I think kind of I think he was aware of that and 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 realized he had to have some sort of vessel to get you through those moments and I think that's what the the police you know the the, the police scenes were yeah. Maybe it was just there to bolster the runtime. Who knows? But um, but what? So what? Overall, like, obviously, I think we've been pretty positive on this. But like, what? What do you mm. think of this movie? Is this? Are you a fan of this movie? Do you like this movie? Do you love this movie? Um, I really don't know. I really don't know. Like, um, I don't. I don't think I'd ever feel comfortable saying I love this movie. I think. I think all I could say is that like I respect this movie as part of Wes's kind of catalog and this being his opening uh film it's it's a film that i could never just throw on mm. you know you have to be mentally prepared for it uh before during and after and i think kind of um you know it it's just it really is like i say it really does just show like where it, you know to start with a movie like this like um just shows where that guy's head was at which is a bit scary um but yeah, I definitely, I definitely kind of, like I say, you know, this movie is, is a, is a classic for all of the reasons that we've discussed, you know, the, 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 the kind of controversy around it, but actually the movie itself, I think is, like I said, there's sometimes some of these movies are just overly gross and overly, you know, way over the top. Whereas I think with this, like there really does have some merits to it. And, and, you know, the other stuff that makes this, this is a movie, not just kind of, you know, yeah. it was labeled as a snuff film in Germany, mm. wasn't it? And it's like, this isn't, this isn't that because, all, because of the comedy, because of the other stuff that's in it, um, because of even the villains having more than just this one dimension, you know, um, the, the, the drug abuse of kind of junior and all of that stuff coming into play, you know, it gets, it gets quite deep in places. Um, one thing I was going to touch upon as well, like the, um, you know, when the mum, mum and dad discover Mary's body. Yeah. She's, she's straight up like alive for a second there. Right. Like, yeah. Well, it it's really so weird because there's it different, was... there's different cuts of the movie where mm. I think that is one of the arrow releases, which is, I believe they call it the Krugen company cut where yeah. she is alive when they first go there and she, they have a conversation with her and she kind of explains that they're bad, that they did this to her and Phyllis, just like as she's dying, she kind of yeah. dies in their arms, but there's a conversation there. So mm. like there is, yeah, she was definitely alive for a few seconds for sure. Yeah. Well, kind of the, the, the version I saw was basically, in her dad's arm, she's clearly moving. And then he basically says, there's nothing we can do for her. She's dead. And mm. then she's not moving. And I was like, it's so, it's so bizarre. Like it's, it was a really weird kind of, uh, like I said, I think that bit has been chopped around too much where it didn't yeah. really make sense. Um, and then the other thing as well was the, the actual kind of finale when we get um, Krug and, and company kind of getting their comeuppance and kind of, um, 
I forgot just how long that chainsaw scene goes on for. <laughs> yeah. It's outrageous how long that. It's the most like drawn out <laughs> chainsaw sequence I've ever seen in a movie. Um, it's pretty great though. It is pretty great, and and I I really think the 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 final images of that film when kind mm. of you, you get the chainsaw sequence, the police come in, and then you get the parents kind of sat there together, just covered in blood, looking at what they've done, and. Um, I think again, uh, like I said, I I saw with Krug and and the gang that when they when they kind of let Mary walk away, they had this moment of like regret in their eyes. The parents didn't have an ounce of regret in their eyes, which which again I really I really kind of thought was was interesting, and I really liked that that the parents were just like, yeah, I would have done this exact same thing again, mm. and I'm like, yeah, I I, I understand why. Like, um, they just sat there with this look like, well, you do what you need to do now, dumb police. We've, we've done what we needed to do as, as her parents. Um, yeah, like when he's slowly taking the chainsaw away from him, he's just like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, and you can see the look in his eyes where he's, he's disgusted with what he's done, but there's no regret in it because he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to rip this guy to shreds with a chainsaw. Like, yeah. my daughter's on the sofa right there. Like, take one look at her and tell me I, I, I did something wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they, they, you know, they say all of that in that scene when all, all that really happens is the cop comes over and takes a chainsaw off him. Mm. But all of that is said in the way that, that it's acted. And like you say, for this movie, for the budget it is and mm. for the cast that we've pretty much not seen in anything else, like it's, it's so well acted. Yeah, well, that, that's my take overall, really, is that, like, this movie is surprisingly good. I think it's better than all you almost people give it credit for, because, like you said, I think it gets put in that category of, you know, a certain type yeah. of shock film, which I don't think it is. Um, I liked it more on this rewatch, so maybe this is a movie that I don't want to watch a lot, but I think maybe it'll keep going up, because I'll keep noticing these smaller things. Um, like I say, I really like the acting. I love the soundtrack. Um, I would say, narratively, is kind of where I have the biggest question marks and biggest frustrations with this movie um because i love the dual setup between like two different sets of characters at the start and then them meeting and their interactions but mm. then the fact that it's kind of like they they drive aimlessly off with them in the car they put they seem to just perfectly in in the world break down outside their home they then just fuck off into the woods wherever <laughs> the hell that is and leave their car parked outside the front of their house and then they go into that house purely because i don't even know what their plan was at that point like no. just were they just gonna murder some people did they just want a roof on, over the house were they just looking for someone to fix their car i really don't know and the fact that they were able to clean themselves so well because they've like all smartened up and got suits and all that stuff it was just narrative wise it was so bizarre that this all happened and then when you get the kind of reveal that they've killed marie and phyllis the switch from the parents to immediately both become john wick is kind of farcical um i get it it's it's the kind of power fantasy and i think to you know in a longer film in a more modern day film they would kind of that would be like a 25 minute segment to kind of span that out whereas back in the day it was nope these guys killed our daughter we're clearly gonna hatch a plan immediately but like the idea of the mum like seductively seducing fred outside to I then get her revenge is just that, it's so over the top isn't that it scene was the one that the father kind of makes more sense because he does kind of bond all through yeah he just sets up a bunch of home alone traps um, doesn't he yeah and like where's his obsession with uh home traps like <laughs> you know obviously 
we, we get it in this and then we get it even more so in Nightmare on Elm Street. He's spoken about it where he is just kind of obsessed with it. Mm. Um, you know, there's parts of it in People Under the Stairs as well. He loves yeah. like this. Like, I can only imagine what his own house was like. I imagine <laughs> it was booby trapped to shit, like just in case. Like, yeah, don't go in the wrong up. room accidentally. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a bloody, like, it's, it's probably just like, yeah, like a, a sore house basically yeah. of traps. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, I wonder, I wonder when we get through kind of all of Wes's horror movies, where this mm. will land mm. on, on the list. Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like I say, I don't know, um, because there are some of his horror movies that neither of us have seen. Yeah. And then, and then there's a couple that, that I know that I've seen that you haven't. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, like I, I do wonder where this will land. Yeah, for sure. Because like I say, overall, I, I do enjoy this film. I, I think if you'd asked me when I first watched it on Arrow um, a mm. couple of years back, I probably would have said no. But on this rewatch, I definitely appreciated more of it. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just for the fact, because before it was always like, I respect it because it's Wes's first film. But now I definitely have more of an appreciation for it. Mm. Um, but yeah, before we go into kind of ranking, um, we did have a comment from uh, one Richard Brake um, talking about this movie via Twitter, nice. um, who just said, uh, talking about this movie, one of my favorites scared the shit out of me as a kid um well yeah i'm not surprised first and foremost and i'm glad that you were a psycho like us and watching these fucked up films as a child because <laughs> yeah, yeah i was watching hills of eyes as a kid and, and richard was watching last house on the left <laughs> yeah it makes um, a lot of, makes a lot yeah of sense. it says yeah, a lot I about do. us all i do i do love it i think i think even when we when we interviewed him he did speak about last house didn't he mm, i think so um, and, and kind of how this movie messed him up because he did get to see it. Um, I don't know how he got to see it, but no. yeah, well I, well, I know he did live in the U S for a long time. Cause I was mm. thinking about that when I was talking about the certification of like how many people just, you know, dual citizens that go back and forth between the countries and they just had it on home video or whatever and watched it. And then suddenly you go in a different country and it's this banned substance. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, like but, a couple uh, of these movies really were like, class a drugs like you know if if you had like a bootleg oh man i'd have been all over that shit if i was around in the early (laughs) trading these home videos of these horror films that would have been that would have been the um (laughs) that'd have been so great um but uh yeah now's the fun part where we Mm. uh hate ourselves for uh picking between our children and ranking wes craven's movies so even (sighs) though this is his debut um, we already have four movies on the list. So we do. last year we did, we talked about the four Scream movies. And to my knowledge, our final ranking was Scream 1, Scream 4, Scream 2, and then Scream 3. Um, mm. So that is the list right now. Do we want to change it going forward? I'm assuming not. No, I think I think that is our list of the Scream movies. It just depends on how split up they become now. Yes. Adding the others in. 100%, um, which they, I think they will get pretty split up yeah, <laughs> over the course oh, of time. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I think with this, like, um, Scream 1 and Scream 4 definitely just disappear from the conversation. Like, they're, yeah. they're, they're vastly kind of more enjoyable to me than this. I think after that, it then starts to be like, where does this movie lie for me? Oh, see, um, I would I would go one step further. I, I definitely and, think Scream 2 is a lot better than this film. Yeah, and then and then that's, that's where I'm at. And then I then look at it and I think, you know, it it ultimately comes down to screen three or or this, I mm. think. And 
it's it's a difficult one because my love of Scream is so strong. But like yeah. I remember when we rewatched Scream Three, like that mm. movie has a hell of a lot of problems. The, yeah. the and like I I, I I kind of feel like Scream Three has more problems than Last House does. Mm. Um, if if I'm saying which movie I enjoy the most, like I still enjoy Scream Three quite a bit, just because I I love that franchise, but. So, so I'm, it's a difficult one where I'm kind of wearing two different hats and I, and I don't know which one wins. I completely agree because, yeah, I love Scream. And, yeah, even like a not great Scream movie, I can still throw on and have a good time. Mm. Um, and especially now, it'd be like I'd probably want to watch Scream 3 before this. But like you say, there's there's already four Scream movies that Wes directed and the other three are all vastly superior to it. Mm. So first and foremost, that that definitely means something in terms of ranking all of his films that he made four in one franchise. And this is clearly the worst one. um and even looking at that movie individually like there's a lot wrong with it and there's a lot of stuff like roman as a killer is like so uninteresting roman is is terrible and the the, reckoning of of how he kind of got billy involved in one does piss me off as a scream fan with the canon um it's still an enjoyable film i enjoy a lot of the kills like you say you still got like nev campbell in there and courtney cox doing great stuff so It's, David Arquette doesn't make a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, we know that. Um, so I, it is difficult for me. Like, it's very close. I think something about... I don't think Last House, even though it's early on, I don't think it deserves to be on the bottom. No. Um, not that that should really mean anything in this stage, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would go either way. For me personally, I'd probably just lean towards Last House and Left being above yeah. it. But if you, had, if think, you were strongly the other way, I wouldn't disagree. No, I think that's how it is for me, that... For me, like you say, I, I I kind of feel like I like Scream 3 more than I should because of just it being in the franchise. And when, like mm. I said, when we watched them last year, it really struck me how how really um, under par it was in, in comparison to the other three. Yeah, um, there's a, such I, a huge step up I in always, quality. I always was kind of like, oh, Scream 1 is just the ultimate scream two and three are good and scream yeah i'm like oh scream two's better but scream two and three are good and then scream yeah. four was just like a true return to form again and then i like, watched them i'm like man i'm sorry scream two like apart from Derek mm. sucking like how dare you the rest of the we need to move scream two up because you just mentioned Derek. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah but but yeah i think yeah i think i think last house above scream three yeah that feels good that feels good um yeah. again who knows like i like to stick to these things but as we do more of these maybe we'll just mess around with the list because it's our list and we can do whatever the hell we want um yeah we make the as, rules. as of right now we have five movies ranked number one scream number two scream four number three scream two number four the last house on the left and number five scream three um so yes nice i love these rankings and obviously like we said before he has a lot of movies to get through Um, yeah it's gonna be a fun one because you know this this is gonna go for quite some time you know we we don't know when our next break is it could be next week it could be in you know six months (laughs) we really don't know and obviously like um the next movie is pretty exciting yeah and it's you know talking about this obviously we always want to focus on new horror but when you look at the last year and i'm so i'm so happy we did scream when we did and you look back on it and you think to yourself 
there's so many movies that were wasted weeks, but you never know that until you watch them because on no. the plus side, there are so many movies that I'm really glad we covered, not just the ones that I love, like Psycho Gorman, but even something like Willy's Wonderland that I, you know, enjoyed but didn't love. I'm really glad that show exists. Um, there's only a few, like like Promising Young Woman, definitely, like mm -hmm. it, having seen it and knowing that it's not a horror film, I wish we hadn't done a show on it. Um, so, but there's really not that many of them, whereas even movies that I'm like, like Wrong Turn, I didn't like it, but we needed to do a show with a wrong turn movie do you know what i mean for sure. so for sure um but yeah like you say i'm hoping we'll do more of this because yeah starting the way we did it with scream now going back to the start and like you say going forward um it's there's going to be some real interesting conversations to talk about very very soon so yeah let us know kind of what you think of this if you're looking forward to more ranking wes craven um but yeah that was our discussion of the last house on the left we will take a short break and we will be right back So yeah, we did have a voicemail this week. Um, of course, if you ever want to get involved with the podcast, um, you can tweet us at shbpod. Uh, you can send us an email at superhorrorbrospodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave us a message on Skype by searching for Super Horror Bros. Um, or you can just send us a voicemail, which uh, Sean does, um, and I'll play that for you now. Hey, Matt and Mike. This is Sean Smith calling in from the outskirts of Costa Mesa, California once again. I uh, just want to share some thoughts on the last episode where you reviewed the first couple of episodes of Creepshow Season 2 on Shudder. Uh, definitely enjoyed the review a lot, guys. Really enjoyed the descriptions uh, that you guys uh, shared, um, all the callbacks, you know, um, all the references. Uh, very excited. Uh, I know that Greg Nicotero, like you said, has a veteran um, doing effects work um, and also obviously a veteran of, of TV, having done and directed a lot of uh, TV recently. Um, I know he did a great job with the first season, so uh, definitely we're looking forward to, to seeing um, this new season that's going to kick off here um, in April. So I know that, um, that they actually debuts on April 1st, which is this coming Thursday. So that's gonna, actually going to happen the day after the next episode drops. So that'll be interesting, but definitely looking forward to seeing it for sure. Um, also, you know, just really quickly, want to give a, a quick recap uh, for the giveaway that uh, that you're doing here, that we're doing here, um, <clears throat> you know, once again, uh, you know, for the uh, the UK listeners, they do get uh, that uh, feature debut from Rose Glass, the Saint Maud, which is an excellent movie that we all enjoy. Um, also, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's excellent and brutal Possessor. Um, then finally, uh, uh, Sam Raimi's classic uh, Evil Dead trilogy, um, all up uh, for a giveaway uh, for the UK. And then uh, for the U.S. Uh, listeners, um, just as a recap, uh, we have a, um, an edition of uh, Ari Aster's Hereditary. It's actually a f uh, newly released 4K edition of that film. So you'll get to see you know, all the detail of, uh, of the you know, Paymon and all of the, the different you know, calls and, uh, and uh, clues that they're giving you in that movie. Um, also, uh, one listener will get a combo of John Lannis's An American Rebel from London, and also uh, the film Two Evil Eyes, uh, which features films from both Dario Argento and George Romero. And finally, um, one lucky listener will get a combo of the classic giallo Death Laid an Egg, featuring Gina Lillibrigida, and the classic proto-slasher The House That Screamed on the Scream Factory label. 
Um, it's important to note that this movie is now out of print there. Um, it's currently selling on eBay for like $50. So this is a pretty good, uh, this is a pretty good one. Um, it's a very good proto-slasher and um, definitely enjoyable for, for those that, uh, uh, that enjoy those films. Um, these are all new additions, so um, good luck to all the entering listeners of the giveaway. Uh, finally, um, you guys spoke at length about uh, you know cinema versus you know video on demand and how Marvel decided to release um, their latest Black Widow um, on their own channel and so forth. Yeah, I mean obviously with the pandemic, these are all new models that everyone's trying to. Um, adjust their business model and and go with something that is is you know going to give them the best benefit during the time. But as as you know, guys, nothing can replace the cinematic uh, experience. Nothing can replace the theatrical experience. And you know, I, I mean, I've watched movies in the theater and I've watched movies at home on demand. And yes, the convenience of on demand is great, but it just doesn't yield the same experience. You're just not going to get the same experience um, as you do when you go to the cinema. So um, I'm just so glad that you know we're we're getting to a point finally where the where the theaters are starting to open. Um, you know, here in the U.S., we have two of the major chains that are open. Regal being the lone standout. I believe you guys gave a report that they're going to be opening in the next month or so, um, both here and in the U.K. But um, coming up on Wednesday, you know, we get Godzilla versus Kong. So on April 31st, we get Godzilla versus Kong. I'll be heading back to the theater to the cinema to see that movie. Um, so I look forward to the next episode because I'll be able to give you guys some feedback on that film and also on uh, Creepshow. So uh, once again, guys, thank you so much um, for your excellent reviews and look forward to, uh, to checking in with you on the next episode. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. So yeah, thanks again, Sean. I'm glad you're looking forward to Creepshow like we were um, and still are. Um, obviously, it finally comes out this Thursday, so people will get to see what we've been very excited about um, no, last week. Yeah, um, we've already seen more. We'll talk about it in the coming weeks um, mm -hmm. because, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about with Creepshow. I think that would be a good thing as well. Like if we do do, for example, another Wes Craven movie in the coming weeks, it would be good to couple that with some more Creepshow talk to kind of, yeah. you know, have the old and the new. Um, so, yeah, that'll definitely be something that we'll be doing in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, also, thanks again for obviously the giveaway. Like I say, Sean was just talking about the lovely Blu-rays Blu that you can win. Um, make sure you enter the competition um, because, yeah, you don't want to miss out on this awesome free stuff, essentially. Um, and finally, yes, I am extremely jealous that you will be at the cinema this week. Um Crazy just so so jealous like the fact that ours just isn't open you know let alone that there was nothing to watch i think there was that comfort last year of like oh you know there's just every christmas movie under the sun playing and all this weird stuff mm. and even though i wasn't going all the time because i want to see new movies it was nice yeah. that they were at least the the it's water like, was know, running we could, we could go see like reservoir dogs or something if we wanted to you know yeah they existed <laughs> they weren't just a figment of our imagination which yeah. they are right now um yeah. which is sad well, it, but... it is the fear that we we just don't know whether our local mm. one that we go to predominantly will even reopen 100%. Um, because yeah, we don't live in the biggest is. city, so it could easily happen. Yeah, like, exactly. Cinemas aren't going anywhere if you live in London, but yeah, it's different for where we are. Um, but yeah, hopefully you enjoy Godzilla vs. Kong. Like, we, we, we will be seeing it very shortly, and we'll be having a very different experience to you. I wish <laughs> I could see this on the biggest screen possible, stuff in my face with popcorn, because that's yeah, the way I this movie's intended. Yeah, on my iPhone just for the banter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch it the way they intended. Watch it on a, you know, on a DS. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, 
yeah, that, that's pretty much it for this week. Um, I, I did watch one thing in the past week that I just very briefly want to touch upon. Um, a movie called Turbo Kid, um, which, so this is the way my brain works as I add movies to my kind of watch list, is that when we saw Summer of 84 back in 2018, gotcha. um, loved it and, and wanted to see what the directors had done. And they had done one other movie called Turbo Kid in 2015. I knew that it was very well regarded. It was kind of a indie darling slash festival favorite and people were very hot on it um i i thought it was all right you know i, I didn't love it to be honest um i wanted to like it more especially someone who loved summer of 84 so so much I and summer of 84 again yeah and finally sitting down to watch this it was cool it's this post-apocalyptic movie set in the 90s um very kind of mad max or like terminator post-judgment day where it's like everything's fucked it's all wasteland and water's like the premium that everyone's trying to get um mm. but their kind of take on it is that it's kind of like young adults and so they're younger people they're on you know bikes instead of cars and it is kind of that mix of like like it's almost like mad max meets stranger things in a way <laughs> um you can see what they're going for with a very retro style as well there's some comic book elements in there there's a lot of retro tech of like um you know power sleeves and like old video games and stuff like that and yeah i did like it it's pretty gory it like scratched that itch that psycho gorman did slightly but just it just wasn't as lovable um i think mm. my main issue was that the lead two characters i just didn't find them that interesting and so the bulk of the movie is a dialogue between these two people that i didn't really enjoy and then when it gets to kind of the action and the violence i was in on it but yeah i didn't i definitely didn't hate it but i definitely didn't love it either i was like yeah that was fine um so yeah i saw that that they're apparently doing a sequel which is like weird because they announced that before summer of 84 um right and they've been trying to get it off the ground like all indie film for like you know six years now and god knows what's happening but yeah as someone who's seen both movies like i desperately want a sequel to summer of 84 like Definitely. the way that movie ended um you know summer of 94 10 years later the kid has yeah. grown up the serial killer's coming back to finish what he said he was going to do like i desperately want that movie um but yeah, it seems like you know turbo kid is a bigger film for them i see more people reference turbo kid a lot and yeah i get why people love it just yeah i thought it was all right um but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I watched in the past week that's worth talking about. Um, yeah, I've been reasonably quiet this time, but I did I did pick up a quite exciting Blu-ray that I will be talking about soon. Um, nice. I've got the uh, physical version of um, In the Search of Darkness, part one and part two. Nice. So yeah. um, we we'll have to figure the, out. Hopefully, we can cover that in the next few weeks because yeah, yeah, we love that so much, and I'd love to talk about part two. Definitely, I don't really know what to expect from part two apart mm. from microwave massacre like <laughs> other than that like obviously they've got uh robert england is kind i was of gonna i didn't ones. want to spoil it but yeah, i was like um, i've heard they've got one actor that they didn't have in yeah, part one <laughs> which, which obviously is just awesome mm. um but yeah so yeah i'm i'm pretty pumped to to kind of look at it and it's just really nice <clears> to have have this kind of you know physical copy of of mm. this kind of you know it really is a definitive kind of the first one was already like pretty definitive mm. so i can i can only imagine like what level of kind of mop-up that this this second documentary does like you i know, hope basically... they just pick robert's brain about all of his films for two hours <laughs> yeah I'd be, I'd be pretty down for that <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to getting stuck into that one yeah that's also coming to shudder in april which is mm. good um for mm. people to check out but yeah you mentioned blu-rays just very quickly they're the arrow sailors on right now which is pretty nice kind mm -hmm. of xavier doing buy one get one free and then on arrow's official website pretty much all their standard blu-rays which are normally 18 pound are currently eight pound so pretty good deal to if you want to pick up any sort of random arrow stuff um 
and yeah like it, it's so weird i feel like just as a very small point like i don't think we appreciate these boutique companies enough because the only way you you really appreciate it is when you want to watch an old horror film which does not have these releases yeah because in the past week i have been trying to track down creep show um the original film and mm-hmm. kind of you know knowing that creep show 2 arrow did their lovely edition what was it last year or the year before mm. um and obviously we love the tv show on shudder and i really want a nice creep show blu-ray yeah, and no. in the uk it just doesn't exist you know there's like some weird ones that are ridiculous price that are real bog standard shit you know we're talking very early you know re- blu-ray restaurant not even restorations just stuck on a blu-ray basically with mm. very limited features for an extortionate price and yeah it's one of those things really where i feel like we take it for granted that dawn of the dead has multiple amazing editions that Candyman, that hills of eyes you know all these classic films that we love have these incredible editions um and i feel like yeah you sure. only really notice it really do you until you're kind of looking for something else to watch and then you're like yep doesn't oh, exist yeah. you, you look at this week and kind of that we got to watch this you know this, this movie mm. that that was impossible to get not that long ago in the uk <laughs> yeah. and it's this beautiful blu-ray that we got to watch mm. exactly so yeah just shout out to all them obviously most notably arrow but everyone second sight you know eureka i love for their troll collection mm-hmm. like I mean, was a Scream Factory? There's so many of these companies that do great, great work. And I appreciate them all because, like I say, once you want to find a movie, like even Wishmaster, like I wanted to watch, I was like, well, there's no good edition. So I guess I'm just going to rent whatever's the cheapest digital version, which is I ended yeah. up doing. And I'm probably going to have to do that with Creepshow in the next week because I really want to rewatch Creepshow. And I would love to have a physical copy, but it just doesn't exist, sadly. Um, mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That is pretty much it for this week. Like I say, next week, uh, a new film to talk about, a little form of Godzilla versus Kong. So that should be a fun one. (laughs) It'll be a doozy. Very different to this week. (laughs) Very different. This is a very, you know, analytical look at like a very important movie in the history of, of not only horror and wes craven next week we're just gonna have some fun yeah, talk we're about just a couple gonna, of monsters haven't have an ape punch a monster in the face basically yeah i want to see as many different wrestler moves as possible between the two like yeah what, what what's the what's the number one wrestler move you want to see I feel like just a good old-fashioned stunner always works, like stunner yeah. or RKO or yeah, diamond cut, whatever you want to call it. That's what I'm after. I'm after a proper RKO. Yeah. Where, where Godzilla's not expecting it and Kong comes <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, that's, it that's just swings around his neck yeah. and just launches yeah. him into the ground. Yeah, that's what I want Either that or a good old powerbomb yeah yeah all, all, all good times but yeah i can't wait i'm looking forward to it. like I, said, I wish i was in the cinema but i'm gonna sit an inch away from my tv to try and replicate the experience i'm um, going to watch it on my phone just <laughs> for the for the banter with air with earbuds in correct no, just have no, it coming out of the phone audio i'll yeah, no, be better i'll have it coming out of the phone audio <laughs> on volume one <laughs> um but yeah that was episode 241 where we discussed the last house on the left uh, thanks for listening as always and we'll see you again very soon see you later everyone through my veins and travels to my head they said you'll die soon enough anyway shut up i can't mainly because i never could how could i start now